I hope that was uncomfortably long for you <laughs> as, a, as a welcome time. Uh, we'd love to let that run for a little while to give you guys a chance to connect with, to connect with each other. If you're new, to meet someone around you uh, because we believe that this place really is uh, a community, that when we're gathered here, we're not only gathered as individual people to hear God's word, but we're gathered together as a community of people who are following Jesus, who are here uh, to hear his word together. And I'm going to go ahead and invite Sam Marshall to come up. Sam is reading our scripture for us this morning. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna start, to start with that. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Acts 8. We're in Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. So if you want to follow along your Bible, you can open up there. It will also be up here on the screen, and you can follow along, uh, can follow along this way. All right. Let's read. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an, Ethiop uh, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearers is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Thanks, Sam. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, thankful that you desire to speak with us through it. And Father, we bring you open hearts this morning uh, and trust you to do your work in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start this morning by doing something that we haven't done in a little while. I want to ask you, uh, what questions do you have about this passage? We did this when we were walking through uh, a sermon series called Be Curious, right? where we started by just saying, hey, what questions do you have about the passage? So I want to open that up this morning and ask you, what questions do you have about this passage? Guys, it's kind of a crazy passage, okay? <laughs> yeah, what is with the Spirit leading Philip away? What does that mean? What was that? Where did he get the text? Yeah, where did Luke get this text? Or where did the eunuch get the text? 
Where did the eunuch get the text? Yeah. How do we know what passage the eunuch was reading? Yeah, how did the eunuch know to be baptized in the first place? One more, give me one more. What scriptures did Philip go through, right? It says that he explained to him starting with that scripture, which implies he was using other scriptures. So what scriptures did Philip use? Guys, we do this exercise, just, I just, we do this to remind you, uh, to remind ourselves, myself, that uh, the scriptures that we're reading are so rich. There are so many layers of meaning. There are so many questions that we bring to the text, and we're not going to answer all of them this morning, probably none of those questions, actually. That's fine. That what we bring to the scriptures is our curiosity about what God is doing here, and that the goal of what is happening in this room this morning is not that we're going to answer every single question that you have about this passage, let alone every question that you have about God that what we're trusting is that God desires to meet us through this passage. And I'll remind you that the context of what we're in this morning, right, is, is in the context of Acts 1.8, which we talked about a few weeks ago when we started this series. Acts 1.8 says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And that verse is the programmatic verse for all of Acts. It sets up the entire book. And the passage that we see this morning, it unfolds in the context of that overarching theme and message of Acts. And what we see here this week is that the gospel begins to leave Jerusalem and go out to the very ends of the earth. In fact, kind of in the ancient world, historians would talk about Ethiopia. Literally, they described it as the end of the earth. It was outside of the Roman Empire. It was kind of on the margins of the world that they knew. And so that's the way that they described that area. So what we see here is the gospel going to someone who lives at the end of the earth. That God is on mission. He's moving out into the world. And what we see him do in this passage is that he is making outsiders insiders. He is creating space for people with no family to belong He's seeking and saving those who are lost. And before, in the book of Acts, what we've mostly seen is these mass conversion events. It's like a Billy Graham festival, right? 3,000 people come to Christ one day, 5,000 people come to Christ another day. And it would be easy if you had only read Acts up until this point to think that God, is, God only does things in big, flashy, showy ways. That he only does big events. And if that was the case, we might be asking, well, where are you now, Jesus? But that's not the case here at all, is it? This Ethiopian eunuch is on a long and lonely road, a desert highway, all by himself, maybe with his driver. And God comes for that one person. Yeah, the God who moves in the masses also knows and cares for and comes for, loves, and is devoted to individual people. That our God is profoundly interested in individuals. 
And so are we, right? You're talking about a range of cultures from a collectivist culture to an individualist culture, and there's kind of a range of where people fall along that line. We're at the far end of an individualist culture, right? And there are pros and cons to that. And what this passage affirms is that in the same ways that we know and desire to be loved and seen just as we are right where we are, God says yes to that. That that matters to him. So we're going to talk about the way that plays out in our passage this morning. As God chases down this Ethiopian eunuch. And in this chase, there are three, uh, kind of three main, three main parts. And this is true uh, whenever someone is growing in Christ or whenever someone is coming to know Jesus for the first time, that there, uh, there's a part that God plays in that story, God's part. Then uh, the person who is being changed has a part. We'll call that my part. And then there's their part. That there are other people that God chooses to use in the story. It's kind of like a triangle. Wow. God's part, their part, my part. That whenever God is working in the world, this is, this is so often, this is how he chooses to work. And we see that in the story, that there's uh, God is at work, right? And Philip, depending on your perspective, right, we'll just call it the, the my, Philip has a part, and then the eunuch himself has a part in the story. So we're going to break it down this morning and talk about each kind of person's role, uh, each being's role in the story. And we're going to start by talking about God's part, because very clearly, God is the main character in this story, isn't he? Like, look at verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and you're like, well, that's not God, that's an angel. Okay. Uh, An angel, that word literally just means messenger. And who is the angel a messenger for? Okay, you gotta, you gotta, you're with me this morning. Okay, who is the angel a messenger for? God. Yes, okay, it's church. That's always the right. You can always be safe with that. Yes, it's a messenger for God, right? That God the Father is at work here sending, sending a messenger to Philip to say, hey, go over here in this direction. Then verse 29, Philip hanging out in the middle of this dirt, desert road, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So again, we see the Holy Spirit now moving and directing Philip toward this interaction. Who does Philip talk about? Well, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And then at the end, verse 39, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. All throughout this passage, what we see is that God is at work. And without God, without God's work in this passage, there's no story, right? Like, take your favorite rom-com. Have it in your mind. You have it in your mind, okay? And then take out the meet cute, which is the part of the story where the two main characters bump into each other in some kind of, like, random encounter that happens to change the course of their lives. Okay, if you take that out of the story, you don't have a story, right? You just have... Matthew McConaughey going about his everyday life. Or Jennifer Aniston or whoever it is in the story. 
which there are plenty of movies about that, but that's a different movie, right? You have to have that meeting for it to happen. What I'm saying is that without God moving the pieces of this story around, there is no story. It's a testimony to God's active work in our world. It's a testimony to God's active work weaving together a story in our world. I I just finished this book uh, called Lincoln Highway, which is about these two brothers, one who just got out of a juvenile detention facility and his younger brother who go on this road trip across America. It's very engaging. I would highly recommend it. Anyway, you get to the end of the book, and in the last two chapters, all of the details just fit together. And not like a crime story, it's not like a whodunit, but you realize, oh, the author has been preparing us for the last two chapters of this book the entire time. And you finish it and there's this, ah, yes. It all works together, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever read a book like that? It's so satisfying to get to the end. And the story is a reminder that our God is at work writing those kinds of stories. And whether or not you are a Christian, you have had moments like that in your life, right? Where, where there's a coincidence that seems like more than a coincidence. That there's something more going on here. There's a plot. I will tell you when those things happen in my life, I usually try to talk myself out of them. Maybe that's just the skeptic in me. But I'm always explaining to myself all of the circumstances. Well, you know, it wasn't really that God was at work. It was actually that... What? What? No, we are people who believe in a plot. And, and uh, there are people who will say, well, you know, that's just us meaning-making. Don't get carried away, they'll say. Just remember, there's no such thing as meaning in the world. It's simply a social construct that we create to help ourselves feel better about this meaningless void that we live in. Do you realize, even that is a form of meaning-making, Right? Because that person has to explain to you why you do not have meaning and why their narrative actually means what they say it means. There is no way for us to escape the meaning-making that is, that is built into us because that is how God created us to live in a world with plot because that's the world that he created. And at the end of time, when we are together in the new heavens and the new earth, we will stand back and we will spend uh, eternity talking about our stories and the ways that God has worked them together with each other. And it'll take our breaths away day after day after day. Because the mission that God is about in the world is a mission of bringing lost, broken people to himself. And we see that so clearly in the story of this eunuch. Let me tell you about what it meant for this man to be a eunuch in this time in the part of the world where he was from. It meant that when he was a little boy, he was taken away from his family and he was castrated and possibly dismembered so that he could faithfully serve some powerful people in in the queen's court. In ancient societies, family was everything. And it was taken away from this man, not by any choice of his own. And people with power took away his ability to participate in a family and in a story because they knew if they took that away, he would have no choice but to be loyal to the king alone, to the queen alone. 
So for the sake of ensuring the loyalty of this person uh, in his role, he was uh, abused. He experienced all of this physical, emotional, sexual trauma in his life. It put him, even if it put him in a position of power, it put him on the edges of society. And it put him on the edges of traditional religion. In verse 27, we read that he, uh, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. This man traveled probably a thousand miles. That's a long way to go into worship God. And then imagine this, though. He gets, he gets to the temple in Jerusalem, to Nissan Stadium, someone who is used to having a ticket right to the front row, and they say, hey, we're glad you're here. You can go up to the nosebleed section because people like you aren't allowed in here. It's even possible that he wasn't even allowed in the temple, that he would have had to go to the synagogue down the street. That's like showing up to Nissan Stadium and being told, hey, thank you so much for coming. Actually, you can't come in here, but there is a game being played down the street at Stratford High School. Enjoy the football game. You could still enjoy that game, right? But it's not the same thing as being in Nissan Stadium. This was a man who was ostracized by traditional religion. And when you look back kind of at, at historical documents of the time, uh, teachers in this era would tell their followers that you should avoid people who are eunuchs. You should try to not talk to them if at all possible. And this is precisely who the Holy Spirit sent, sent Philip to. This is the person, this is the kind of person that God is seeking in our world. That there is no one who is too far away from God uh, to be sought by him. In fact, it blows up our categories of near and far, doesn't it? that our ideas of what is close and what is far are irrelevant to God and to his mission in the world. That the people who feel uh, ostracized, on the edges, alone, on the margins, that those are precisely the people that, that our God pursues and comes after. The people who say, I, I don't belong, or, or if you knew what I have done, you would know that I don't belong that I can't belong? Oh, Jesus says, yes. That God is coming after those people saying, yeah, you, you can belong here in this family. That was good news for this eunuch. And if it's good news for the eunuch, it means it's good news for us. Because we are just as far away on our own as he is from God, aren't we? That we struggle with all of those same fears that if you really knew, I would not be able to belong. And God comes and, and meets him right in the place of his deepest pain and deepest shame. I want to read you from Isaiah 56. So this is just a few chapters after what this eunuch is reading. He's reading out of Isaiah 53. And, 
And just a few chapters later, this is what God says very specifically. He says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls, inside the temple, you hear that? A monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You've got to believe that Philip took the eunuch to this scripture. That the eunuch knew this promise. And then what Philip is saying to him is, it's for you. You belong. That because of what Jesus has done, you can be brought in now. Don't say you're a dry tree. That there's no hope for you, that there's no way of you impacting your world, of, of, of no hope of you belonging. No, because of what Jesus has done for you, Philip is telling him, you belong. You have been brought in. And right there in the place of his greatest shame and greatest fear, Jesus meets him and says, I've come for you. That is the mission that God was on in this passage. Is God on that same mission today? This is an opportunity for audience or congregation participation now, okay? Is God on that same mission today? Okay, come on. Give it to me a little bit louder. Is God on that same mission today? Yes, right? Is he on that mission in Nashville? Is he on that mission in East Nashville? Yes, right? Is that not exciting? Oh, to think that our God, even now, even here, is on mission, is, is moving toward people who are on the margins of our society, people who are ignored by traditional religion, people who feel like they are too far from God to ever be brought in, that God, our God, is moving toward those people, people like us. And I want to be a part of it. We as a community want to be a part of it. This extravagant, overflowing, never-ending love of God. There's a song, Reckless Love, that says it like this. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. There's no shadow you won't light up or mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. But that is true about God's love and his mission of it, his mission in your life and in, and in the lives of the people right around us. Okay, so that's God's part. That's the majority of the sermon. It's the most important part, right? Okay, so what's, what's Philip's part in this? That if you're a person who's saying, yeah, okay, I want to be a part of that mission. Well, what does that mean for us? Let's talk about what, what from Philip's life and story, from his interactions here, we can learn about what it means to be on mission with Jesus in our world. And maybe you're here. I just got to acknowledge this. Maybe you are not a... Uh, not a, a Jesus follower. Maybe you're here and you're wondering, like, what is this whole thing about? So glad that you're here. 
listen in. And I hope that what you hear uh, is encouraging as something that you can at least respect about the way that as Christians we are hoping to engage with our community. And friends, what you need to hear first, if you're saying yes to this mission, is that God doesn't need you. And there's been, if you've grown up in the church, it's possible that you've heard stories like this and you've walked away thinking, well, if, what, if, what if I have a conversation and I miss the opportunity? What happens then? Is someone going to spend eternity apart from God because I dropped the ball, because I said the wrong thing, because I failed to ask the question, because I wasn't bold enough? I will just tell you, uh, you can put that fear to bed because what Jesus promises you is that everyone that the Father has given to him will come to him. So you can take off of your back the burden of saving other people because it doesn't belong on you. And Jesus never put it there. Now what is true is that God, in his sovereignty, often chooses to use people in other people's stories. Right? That's true in your story. There are people that God has used to, to, come, to come to you, to help you know him, to mature you in him. Yet God, God uses people in the lives of other people. We are often the means that he uses. And like we said, well, I want to be part of that. Okay, what does that look like? And I, I just have to tell you, I said this last week, I need to say it again. Um, I'm up here, and you may think that that means that I am a pro at this. Um, I'm not, okay? It's one of the most humbling things for me about this sermon series. It's like, oh, I am learning this alongside all of you. One of the things I've been challenged with and I think this passage challenges us with is that if we're going to be on mission with the Holy Spirit, on mission with God in the world, we have to be a people who are responsive to the Holy Spirit. Even when it calls us into desert places. All right, Philip has got to be saying to the Lord, why are you sending me there? P.S., he is uh, up, uh, he's like outside of Jerusalem in the exact opposite direction. It's as if Nashville was Jerusalem. Uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of illustrations that are really pumping Nashville this morning, okay? So let's just assume that Nashville is Jerusalem. This persecution happens. Christians are driven out, so Philip goes to Knoxville. Yeah, even to Knoxville, right? To the ends of the earth. So he goes to Knoxville, and, uh, and then the, all these Samaritans, Knoxvillians, become Christians. Great, this is amazing, a movement of the Spirit. And then God says, hey, I want you to go now to Memphis, and meet this guy who is leaving, well, I guess he doesn't tell him what he's going to do, but to set him up to meet this guy who is leaving Nashville back from Memphis. Now, why did God not just use someone who was in Jerusalem? Right? That's what I'm wondering. Which, let's just acknowledge the total inefficiency of this. Because God is not concerned about efficiency. That his love is extravagant, it's overflowing. We're back to God's part. Okay. Uh, when, when Philip gets the call to go to Memphis now? What? He just, but, but he goes. That's a responsiveness to the Holy Spirit. The prompting, go run up next to this chariot. What? Could you just imagine how weird that looked? There's this guy in a wagon, probably, is what it was by a chariot, what it means by a chariot, and he's reading this unfurled scroll, and, and here Philip is just running up next to him. 
He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know the end of the story, how it's going to play out, but what he's doing is he's responding to the Holy Spirit. If we are going to be a people who are on mission with God in, in our city, we have to be a people who are responsive to the Holy Spirit, which means we have to be quiet long enough to know what he's saying. Like, I don't know if you have anybody in your life who ever is texting while you're trying to talk to them. Have you ever experienced this? Often I, what I will do is just stop talking. I'm like, you can't hear me while you're having this other conversation. But for us to have a conversation, you have to stop texting. Uh, that's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. Not about your texting. That's not the point. But that there are so many things in our lives that we are constantly distracting ourselves by, that we are working overtime so often to avoid any kind of silence. But friends, that's the place where we can hear the Holy Spirit, right? And if this is not a regular practice in your life, I'll just warn you, when you start to get quiet, you're going to hear a lot of things. You may even start to hear the cries of your own heart. And the discipline of learning, how do I discern um, and tell the difference between my own heart and what I'm saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying? We could do a whole, a whole lot of talking just about that. That is not the point of today's sermon, okay? What we do know is that the Holy Spirit is always on mission. We see it in this passage. We see it throughout Acts. We want to ask God things like, hey, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I send my kids to school? All relevant questions. All things that God cares about. Most often in the New Testament, we don't see the Holy Spirit answering those questions for people, though. What we see him doing is speaking to them and directing them in terms of sharing the gospel with people. So the invitation for us is that we would be quiet and still enough to ask the Lord, to ask the Holy Spirit, oh, where are you working in the world? That's pretty big, actually. That can be overwhelming. Where are you working in my life? Where are you working in the lives of the people around me? If you're a note taker, you've got to write down those questions. You're like, I would encourage you to to take some time today, later this week, to actually, to, to be quiet and to ask the Holy Spirit, oh, where are you working right around me? And how are you asking me to participate in that with you? To ask, Lord, would you give me boldness to step into those moments when you present them to me? So to be a part of this adventure means to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we learned from Philip here uh, is the importance of asking curious questions. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. That's how people read back in the day, is they always read out loud. Good for the memory. So he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? He didn't start with a statement. He started with a question. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of asking people questions. Not as a tactic, okay? As a way of loving people. I cannot tell you how many times Caroline and I have been out on a date and we start a conversation with our server and pretty soon our server is sitting with us at our table. Because people, uh, 
they love to, they need to talk about themselves. It's a way that we feel cared for. And that our questions would be about the lives of the people around us and that we would be bold enough to listen to the Holy Spirit to take those questions and, and ask spiritual questions as well. Like, where are you spiritually? If you're looking to write down spiritual questions, here are a few. Where are you spiritually? What, what do you believe in? Okay, you might not ask your barista that. But, but you could ask people that you are beginning to know who you've asked other questions. You could ask that question to them. What's your spiritual background? That's one of my favorites. Because when I tell people I'm a pastor, I get all kinds of reactions. Tell me about your spiritual background. So interesting. So much to learn. So many ways to care for people in hearing their stories and being curious about them. So to participate in this, in this mission, we're responsive to the Holy Spirit. We ask curious questions, and then we got to be ready to talk about Jesus. I love how simple this verse makes it seem, because sometimes it really is that simple. In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about... Yes, let's write one more time. Told him the good news about... Jesus, Jesus right? So simple. He talks about Jesus, because Jesus is the crux of the matter. And he talked about the intersection of politics and faith. No, he didn't. An interesting conversation, a conversation I love having. I know many of you love having it too, relevant at times. But believe it or not, that is not the same thing as talking about the person and work of Jesus. Praise God. He's not talking about Christianity. Philip's teaching him about Jesus. not even talking about the church, the church at its best or the church at its worst. He's talking about Jesus. That really boils it down. And to me, it takes out a lot of the other fears that I have about this. Sometimes I feel like I don't know a lot, but I know about Jesus. And Philip's telling him who Jesus is in and through the scriptures. That may feel like a really intimidating thing for you. How do I, how do I use the scriptures to point people to Jesus? I will tell you this. If that, is, if that feels like too much, um, not if it feels like too much, uh, e even, even when we're using the scriptures to talk about Jesus, what we can also talk about is who Jesus is in our own lives. Like what is your Jesus story? What has Jesus done in you? How has he changed you? How is he currently changing you? We're talking about Jesus. You know, that's also why we've encouraged, I've encouraged you, challenged you to think about who could you invite to be here with us? Because I'll tell you, we're always gonna preach the gospel here. Every Sunday. It's why in our planning of various events, uh, we are always encouraging you to invite people. Like that's why, with, that's why we're doing a cornhole tournament in part, is so that you can invite, it's an easy way to invite someone to be on a team with you. So they don't have to like come here and float alone by themselves, but you could invite someone else to say, come and come with me. Because have you guys ever been to a zero entry pool? Is that what they call them? You know what I'm talking about? It's like the beach. It goes like this, you know, and the water is like here. And so it slowly gets deeper and deeper. 
Some people love to cannonball into the deep end. Some people just like to wade in a little bit at a time, right? Okay. That's what we're trying to create opportunities for. That this Thursday, it's an opportunity for someone to just take just a little baby step in there. That's what we're trying to do with women's mid-morning prayer that's happening this week, that it's an opportunity in kind of the course of a day to invite people to say, hey, we're going to pray. Do you want to come and pray with me? And I will tell you guys, everybody prays. You don't got to be a Christian to do that. Again, just trying to figure out how do, we, how do we help people take little baby steps a little bit deeper into this? This fall party we're doing on October 29th. Again, just, just a few more steps into the graduated entry. But as we do that, that we would be a people who are being responsive to the Holy Spirit, who are asking curious questions, and who are ready to talk about Jesus. God's part, Philip's part. Can we just talk about the eunuch for a second? Uh, I have so much respect for this man. Who is so in touch with what is happening in his own heart, who is so spiritually hungry that he is willing to travel hundreds of miles because he wants to be close to God potentially, even with the knowledge that he won't be able to get as close as other people. That's how desperate he is. He's willing to ask spiritual questions. Philip ran to him, was reading the prophet Isaiah, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? He asked a question back. And then he invites Philip to come and sit with him. He's saying to him, will you guide me? Maybe you are in a place like the eunuch where you you are exploring faith for the first time. Maybe you're exploring faith for the the, whatever, the hundredth time. Maybe you're here and you present outwardly as a Christian and you are racked with questions inside. Yes, of course. Oh, and the challenge of this passage is that like this eunuch, what we would do is not uh, flee to the internet for answers, to Google our questions, but to find a real live person who is willing to interact with us and guide us, to have the humility to say, I don't know what I'm doing, but will you help me? And I will tell you, what I often do, just imagine being, can you imagine being lost in a forest for a minute? Have you ever had that experience? Probably not. I've had moments of thinking I was lost. It's terrifying in a forest, okay? So just imagine being there, sitting in the forest, feeling lost, hopeless, confused, fearful, anxious, angry, and someone walks by and you ask, do you know where you're going? And they're like, no, but isn't this horrible? And you're like, yes, this is horrible. So now you're both sitting there talking about how horrible it is to be lost. And then someone else walks right by your party here where we're talking about this. And they're like walking. Let's imagine this woman is walking with intention and direction. And you're like, hey, are you lost? And she says, no, I know exactly where I'm going. Okay, what do you do? Do you say, well, I'm just going to sit here then with my other friend who's lost and we'll kind of watch you walk away? Or do you say, oh, you know where you're going? Can I please come with you, right? 
That's what I, that's, I, that's what I would think we would say in that situation at least. And, and, and the, the call of this passage is that when we are, when we are in this place of, of questioning, of wondering, of seeking, that we would go to someone who, who is moving in a direction toward Jesus and we would say, would you take me with you? Guide me, help me. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? It's easy to skip over that. And I think that what we're hearing here is the the deep fear in this eunuch's heart. What prevents me from being baptized? Oh, he knows what would prevent him from being baptized, doesn't he? He knows all of the things that would exclude him from the kingdom of God. He's been hearing them his whole life. He's aware. He was in Jerusalem and he wasn't let in past the court of the Gentiles or he was sent to the synagogue. He knows. And so this question, what prevents me? He's saying, is this this news too good to be true? Is it actually even for someone like me? Yes. It is for you. That there is no too far away. I just want to close by imagining what what this was like, uh, how Philip and the eunuch told these stories. Someone asked, how, how do we get this record? Probably Luke, the author of Acts, interviewed Philip and he told him about this situation. Because later in Acts, it's either Acts 20 or Acts 21, there's an interaction with Luke where he is with Philip for days. Philip and his four daughters who prophesy. And they're hanging out. And I gotta imagine that Luke is there and he's got his, I don't know, his whatever they wrote with him, you know? And he's asking, tell me. What was it like in the beginning? And his daughters are like, oh, dad, you got to tell him about that Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip was like, yeah, that was amazing, right? I was going about my day up in Samaria, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit directs me somewhere else. And I show up, and you'll never believe it. There's this guy riding by in a wagon, and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And you know what he's reading? He's reading about Jesus. Can you believe it? It's a home run. The ball's on the tee, right? Philip's like, so I go up there and I talk to him. And all of a sudden, as, as, we're, as we're talking, he wants to be baptized and then I'm gone. Who knows what that means? What about the eunuch? When he gets home and he drops his, I don't know, drops his bag on the floor and he sees his other eunuch roommates and they're like, how was the trip? And he's like, wow. You know, I know we can talk about Jerusalem in a second. I saw a lot of cool things there, but let me tell you about what happened on the way home. Here I am in the middle of nowhere, and this, this grando guy just runs up to my chariot. And I was reading that passage. You know that passage in our scroll that we all have all those questions about? We're wondering, who is the guy that Isaiah is talking about? The, this rando guy, he told me who it was about. It was about Jesus. And they're like, who's Jesus? He's like, let me tell you about Jesus. He's telling his friends, no, this promise is so good. It's for us that we belong, that we've been brought in. You better believe this eunuch is telling the story for the rest of his life, isn't he? Man, my hope and prayer, what, what we're talking about is that we would be a community who would be full of these kinds of stories. 
that we would be able to tell each other, hey, you have no idea what just happened to me. The Holy, Sp I, the Holy Spirit was at work and I was following him and this is what happened. Friend, you have stories about the way that God has done those things in your life. I know that you do. I've heard them. About the way that the Holy Spirit has moved in the lives of other people and also about the way that like the eunuch, he has moved in, in, in our lives. Yes. And what we're saying is that our God is at work in this world and we're saying, I want to be a part of that. We want these stories here in this community that we want to be able to baptize adult people. Right? To be a part of and participating in God's work of mission in our world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Philip, Lord, of this Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, Jesus, I would love to know this man's name. Oh, and we look forward to the day, Jesus, when we will. When we'll get to hear this story from the mouths of Philip and this eunuch themselves. Jesus, we praise you and thank you that you are the kind of God who comes after people who are far away because it means you come after people even like us. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for that and we ask you that you would be, you'd be making us a people who are responsive to your Holy Spirit. But Lord, where you are working in our own lives and where you're calling us into the lives of others. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.